Welcome to the Eternal Connection, a radio broadcast ministry of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska. And once again, you are eternally connected, and praise God for that. Thank you for joining us. This is Pastor Eric J. from St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska, and we have the privilege of doing this radio show each and every week to proclaim the good news of salvation that comes by God's grace through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, just as it says in that wonderful passage from Ephesians chapter 2. Joined in studio not only by the Word of God and our good Lord himself, but uh, added benefit, Chip and Jason. Hello. <laughs> in the studio with us. How are you guys doing? Great. 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 Good Thank morning. You. Fantastic. So today, guys, we're going to do something a little bit different for the audience. Uh, we're going to be actually listening to Pastor Jay. Uh, he preached a sermon on faith a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was such a a poignant topic uh, because there is so much misinformation, I believe, even among Christians on really where their faith comes from and what that faith, how that faith is de- defined. So, Pastor, would you would you set up your sermon for, and then we'll get right into it. Yeah, um, it's a sermon that that has been uh, brewing for a long time, I guess you could say. Um, Past couple years, I've noticed a lot of questions about faith and the pericope or the assigned reading for uh, Sunday the 16th of April when that was preached was John 20, Mm -hmm. the account of Mary Magdalene, the resurrection, Jesus appearing, and always doubting Thomas. Right. right? (laughs) The popular Um, character. But a whole lot more going on in John 20 that really strikes at the heart of what this word is we use all the time as Christians, this word faith. What is it? Where does it come from? Um, and, and how does that play a role into my salvation on a practical level today? So the sermon's based on John 20, if you want to turn there, and uh, hopefully you enjoy. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus, who is the Christ, our Lord Jesus, who is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Do you really believe that? How much do you believe that? How do you know you believe that? If you try and answer any of those questions using anything about yourself, you will inevitably be left only with despair. But if you try and answer those questions about your own faith with God, then you will have nothing but hope. This sermon is a long time coming, and I don't know why I was inspired to do it now, but it certainly seems over the past two years the single most common question I get, the single most common argument against what I have preached or taught that I get is this idea that our faith is our faith. This decision theology that is brand new in the scheme of the church and its history and its theology, this idea that I know I'm saved because I have chosen Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. That I have given him my life, 
I can't think of any more dangerous teaching within the church in America today than this teaching. That if you just pray this prayer, if you just ask Jesus to come into your heart, if you, if you give your life to him, if you choose him as your Lord, he will absolutely be your Lord. Meanwhile, Jesus says in John 15, 16, to his disciples, in his last words before going to the cross, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And thank God, too, because by the time you get to chapter 18, when Jesus is betrayed by Judas, we see the decision-making power of the disciples on full display as they choose to run away as they choose to abandon the one they call Lord. And it's not just in Jesus' last discourse that he says this. Going all the way back to John 6, 44, Jesus even says to the Pharisees who don't believe in him, he tells them why they don't believe in him. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. No one means no one. As we say in the explanation of the third article of the Apostles' Creed all throughout Lent, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus or even come to him. If I had a choice, if I'm honest, I wouldn't choose Jesus. I don't. Even as a Christian, more often than not, even as a pastor, if I have to admit, you must admit with me. I don't have a very good track record. This is not a New Testament idea either. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament, even when God called Abraham, a pagan, who was worshiping the moon, by the way, had no idea who God was. Couldn't have chose God if he wanted to. God came to him and said, I am the Lord, and you will leave your house, and you will go to the land I will show you. And there is no reasonable explanation as to why that pagan man packed up his stuff and left, other than the fact that the word God spoke put the faith in that man's heart. Moses reminds the Israelites of this before they go into the promised land in Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. Moses says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Why? The Lord your God chose you to be his people, his treasured possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And as Moses will go on to say, he didn't choose the Israelites, the Hebrews, who were slaves in Egypt because they were somehow greater than anybody else. No, he chose them because they were the least. He chose them because they were the fewest, the weakest, and that through their weakness, God would display his power. Even through their faithlessness, he would prove faithful. The Apostle Paul sums up this gift of faith the true understanding of faith and where it comes from in that great passage in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes and says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. The question is, what is this? Well, simple grammar would tell you that the this he's talking about is both the grace and the faith he just mentioned. These things you didn't do. They are the gift of God, including your faith. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. And it's there that for the past 100 to 200 years, a misunderstanding has been propagated even within our Christian circles that somehow we're not allowed to boast of any other work except faith. I don't know about you, but this sounds like boasting to me. I know I'm saved because I gave my life to Jesus. Two things that I say lovingly but directly. First of all, your life is not yours to give. You did not make yourself. So you do not determine what happens with your life. Secondly, as I try and say gently but directly to those who propagate this teaching, just because you gave your life to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean he received it. We don't make him do anything. He's God. As we look at John 20 today, it is very important we get this clear in our minds, not only to understand this passage, but so that we could receive the full hope and the assurance of salvation that Jesus wants to give us. And we will not receive the fullness of that hope the fullness of the assurance of salvation, as long as we are still in any way putting the hope of that salvation in our ability, in the strength of my faith. Because as we will see with the disciples, until Jesus came to them and gave it to them, there was no faith. So let's start by looking at verse 1 and 2. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now I underlined we there for two reasons. Number one, people often want to argue that the Resurrection account is a discrepancy because John only talks about Mary Magdalene and the other Gospels talk about three or more women. John clearly is including more than just her with we. But secondly, the reason that's important is it means not just Mary Magdalene, but all the women who should have believed, all the women who were disciples, who heard Jesus say, I'm going to die, be buried, and on the third day rise. They should have came to that tomb, seeing it empty, and shouted, Hallelujah, Christ is risen indeed. But all of them didn't believe. Then it says in verse 3, after they had told the disciples about this empty tomb and stolen body, Peter went out with the other disciples and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, 
But he did not go in. Now we'll pause there because as you read this passage, John tells you twice that he's the beloved disciple and twice that he beat Peter to the tomb. But he's not doing that to brag. John is telling you, look, I got there first. I'm the one he loved. I should have gone in, but I didn't. I should have believed. I couldn't. Not yet. Then Simon Peter came and followed him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, John talking about himself, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. When we read this passage of John 20, Thomas always gets the bulk of the attention. And there's good reason for that. He said some pretty outlandish things. But long before Thomas, there was Peter and John who only believed when they saw. And what did John believe here? He said, I I believed when I saw the empty tomb, but yet in a short while we're going to see him, along with all the other disciples, shaken in their boots in the upper room with doors locked. If you truly believed, why all the fear? Well, I think it's clear at this point that what John and Peter believed was that simply the tomb was empty like Mary Magdalene said. They still didn't truly believe. They had no idea what it meant. They still weren't seeing what actually happened. So they go back to their homes. But as John tells us, Mary Magdalene stays behind, weeping, looking into the tomb. And as she looks in, Two angels are there, and they tell her, why are you weeping? And she doesn't have an answer. And then Jesus comes to her in verse 15 and says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? But supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Mary Magdalene looked Jesus in the face and thought he was a gardener. Why? Well, I think one perfectly good explanation is that she was distraught with grief. If you've ever had true heartbreak, mourning, if you're grieving, nothing seems right. Things you thought you understood seem confusing like never before. And although that's true, that's not what I think is happening. What I think is happening is that in her grief, her misplaced grief, Mary saw what she believed. She thought Jesus was dead. She thought he was stolen, just laying somewhere else. And so when this Jesus, who wasn't dead but is alive, shows up, she doesn't see what's actually there. She sees what she believes. Not Jesus. That is, 
not until Jesus says to her in verse 16, Mary. One word, but so very powerful, especially if you consider what Jesus said not all that long ago in John 10. I am the good shepherd. I call my own sheep by name. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus didn't say, they know me and follow me. I know them. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I, I hope you're getting it at this point that the, the hope of salvation does not come from your faith in Christ as if it is an accomplishment. Your faith comes from Christ. That's the confidence you have, that if you believe at all, you have great reason to rejoice. That doesn't come from you. That comes from your Father. Jesus continued and said to Mary Magdalene in verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The same disciples who just left unbelieving. The Mary Magdalene who, who just thought Jesus was a gardener? My God, your God. Clearly not because the disciples or Mary had it all figured out or even believed as they should, but because Christ came to them. He was faithful to his word and he will be faithful to give faith. It wasn't just Mary Magdalene or John and Peter, but it was all the disciples as we read in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst among them. And he said, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Locked, barricaded, convinced that the very next thing that was going to happen was the same Jews that murderously killed Christ, we're coming for them. And Jesus shows up despite the locked doors and says, Shalom. Peace to you. Now when you and I hear peace, we think, oh, no war. But peace is not just the absence of conflict. To the Hebrew mind, to the disciples, to Jesus, peace, shalom, meant that everything has been set right completeness, fulfillment. It's a word very much related to the creation account where God made everything shalom. 
good as it should be. Jesus gave them that peace by showing them his nail-pierced hands and his side to show them the very thing you're afraid of has brought you eternal life, has brought you peace with God. They clearly did not believe. They weren't getting it. And let's be honest, Jesus' words were probably not making it easier. Just as the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. Oh, great. We watched you get sent to the cross. But look. Look what the cross did for you. Or do you not yet believe? The answer is no, they did not yet believe. Not until Jesus breathes on them. Not until our God and creator who breathed air into the nostrils of Adam he formed from the ground can the disciples be remade through that breath that gave them the faith they so clearly lacked. And that makes really good sense, doesn't it, with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. No one, not even the 12, can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that has come to you in the word of God in your baptism. The Holy Spirit that comes to you right now in the words that you hear. The Holy Spirit that has given you faith to believe that your Lord himself still comes into your midst not only to tell you peace, but give you peace through his body and blood. Verse 25, John tells us that Thomas was not there when the other disciples saw Jesus, but they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I think the other reason we always tend to focus on Thomas and not the other ones necessarily in this story is because as Vicar Sergio said in Bible study, we see ourselves. We see the tendency we all have to tell God, Lord, unless you do this, I can't do this. Lord, unless you give me this, I can't be faithful with my tithes and offerings. Lord, unless you provide this, I can't sacrifice this. Unless you give me this job, I can't do this. But we also see a Lord who is so gracious, so loving, who comes to us even in our doubt, even in our unbelief. And it wasn't just Thomas. As Luke tells us in chapter 24, when Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother, uh, mother of James first came to tell all of the apostles these things, they seemed to all of them like an idle tale, and they did not believe. Why did any of them believe? Why do you and I believe? For no less the same reason than they, that our risen Lord has come to you and given you faith. Eight days later in verse 27, after Thomas said those unthinkable words, 
His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Do not disbelieve. It's a very nice way of putting what's actually a little bit more brutal in the text. Stop being apostate. Stop being an unbeliever, Thomas. And don't miss the fact that Jesus then commands faith. Believe. And no less than when God spoke into nothingness and it became creation, God speaks faith into Thomas. Just as he has for you and I. And I don't think it was necessarily seeing the scars in the hands of Jesus or even touching them because we're never told Thomas actually touched those scars. I think what brought Thomas to his knees was he realized, even when I didn't believe, when I said those words, I will never believe, he heard them. He was there. John gives us this extended narrative so that we would see in the disciples ourselves that on our own strength there is no hope of salvation. Based on our own faith and our ability to believe there is no hope. But with God, with his word that gives us faith, now we have the assurance of salvation. Because if I believe at all, even a mustard seed, Jesus said, that is enough to move mountains, not because of the mustard seed, but because of the one who planted it. John sums this story up by saying, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you will have life in his name. Why is this so important? It's the very hope of your salvation. It's the very assurance you have. And if you look for assurance anywhere else, you're not going to find it. And if unchecked, that will lead to despair, even unbelief, as Jesus told Thomas. It's so important because the fact that I believe is assurance to me of salvation because I could admit I wouldn't do it on my own. Thank God I believe. Literally, thank him. As Philippians 1 verse 6 says, he who began a good work in you, he who put that faith in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, which means even on my worst day, Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Amen. We pray our time together in God's Word has been a blessing to you and to your faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior of the world. If you enjoy listening to our program, we would love to hear from you. Go to eternalconnectionradio.com. 
To find our full episode archive, contact us, let us know you enjoy the show, or ask a question that Pastor Jay will answer on the air. God bless all of you. We look forward to connecting with you again next Sunday on The Eternal Connection. Oh,